You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. If we're severely deprived of our basic needs, it snaps us into a particular worldview. So, well, for can instance, I, can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yes. When I was reading your book, obviously I was reading it while under lockdown here in New York City, and. It struck me that this is probably one of the greatest times of uncertainty in history, really, for the entire globe. I mean, 9-11, there was uncertainty. The financial crisis, there was uncertainty. But this event has proven to be larger than, than those events in many ways. And you see people regress, like people fighting on the floor of Whole Foods for a roll of for the last roll of toilet paper and and by the way I'm I'm not making fun of them I just feel I like know. what's happened is is that the uncertainty has removed layers of this hierarchy of needs so so we're kind of even struggling now with the basic layer and and so so it's kind of reversed our direction towards self-actualization and so on like the great thing about your book is it's very practical in terms of achieving these higher goals so now we start to get into your notions of transcendence and you know <laughs> so happy to have my good friend but also uh an, an incredibly smart person we're going to be talking about his his new book that is really exciting for various reasons i'll i'll state in a second but uh welcome scott barry kaufman uh psychologist you've taught at at University of Pennsylvania, Columbia, NYU. You've taught courses on happiness, well-being, psychology. You write for Scientific American. You have a podcast called The Psychology Podcast. But what we're really here to talk about is your reformulation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs to be much more, and I, in my view, much more interesting, much more practical, and much more uh, useful for my own personal growth, which is all I care about. So your new book is called Transcend, because that's the top of, you don't really call it a, a, a reformulation of hierarchies, but that's kind of the top of your your hierarchy. But but welcome to the podcast, Scott. Yes, thank you so much, James. So excited to be on here finally. I think it's the first time I've been on your podcast, right? Yes, yes. So welcome, and hopefully it's the first of many. So Scott, yeah, uh, nice. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce your your book a little bit. But basically, you looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is, uh, you know, starts off with physical needs like, you know, food and shelter, and then goes up to, you know, uh, uh, the other needs. I forget. The next one's like social needs and things like that. Maybe describe yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Well, Maslow's, we'll get... a, sure, yeah. So Maslow's original formulation had in a hierarchy of prepotency is what he called it. He didn't call it like a pyramid because he never actually depicted it as a pyramid that was other people who try to depict it right so that, i always see it as like a picture if you if you google it, image it it's yeah. it's only a pyramid and it's not he never did he never saw it in that way like these lockstep things but he did say that we have physical needs um like food shelter water 
and then uh, and that's like at the most base of of all our needs important in order for any other needs to 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 be fulfilled because if you you're chronic chronically hungry you know you're not going to be too concerned with uh composing a symphony for instance um but then also he had uh the safety needs uh, which has more to do with how stable is your environment and how predictable is your environment because our brain we we are prediction machines so that's a really important uh, need and then he had connection and belonging, or he called it belonging. He he actually combined belonging with love, but I separated it out in my revised hierarchy of needs. Um, and then he also above that had esteem, so esteem from others, uh, as well as esteem for ourselves. But as we know, they're the two are very strongly connected to each other. And then he had self actualization, being all that one can be, uh, being being. Uh, uh, th- their full powers. Uh, that that was his original model, uh, and, and his so, original and theory the, of motivation. Yeah. And the idea is basically is that, um, you know, humans for a long time were just cared about these physical needs, and then as they moved up this hierarchy, they started to, you know, as we got more comfortable as a species, that we were able to breathe, we were able to get food, we were able to, you know, build communities, and we were a little safer. Uh, yeah, we were, we were a little safer. Uh, we started to focus on things like friendship, family, you know, other organizational structures. And then as we, as our quote unquote tribe got bigger, so it wasn't just 30 people, it was entire civilizations. We started to focus on self-esteem, confidence, achievement, and then finally self-actualization, which he, he writes a lot about. It's sort of a hard phrase to describe what you point out. And that's kind of the, the genesis of your book, but it's this ability to be, you know, creative, moral, somehow, somehow be a little bit more self-aware so you could pursue real personal growth. But I think the discussion is a lot more complicated and a lot more nuanced. And I feel your book transcend is really about, uh, uh, much more in depth about how to get the, the techniques, the methods, the, the philosophy behind self-actualization, how you can even go beyond it. And, and you refer to, you know, states of flow or mystical states or, 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 you know, different types of moral states where, uh, maybe describe the difference between transcendence and self-actualization in Maslow's terms. Yeah. So towards the latter, uh, end of his life, he felt as though there was a higher motivation that people can have. I mean, each one of these needs, it's important to emphasize that they're really just worldviews. Um, and, and if we're severely deprived of our basic needs, it snaps us into a particular worldview. So well, for can instance, I, can I ask you, yeah, can I yes. ask you a question? And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting too much. I want to, I, I want to, but, sure. but when I was reading your book, obviously I was reading it while under lockdown here in New York city. And it struck me that this is probably one of the greatest times of uncertainty in history, really, for the entire globe. I mean, 9-11, there was uncertainty. The financial crisis, there was uncertainty. But this event has proven to be larger than than those events in many ways. And you see people regress, like people fighting on the floor of Whole Foods for a roll of, for the last roll of toilet paper. And and by the way, I'm not, I'm not making fun of them. I just feel I like know. what's happened is, is that the uncertainty has removed layers of this hierarchy of needs. So, so we're kind of even struggling now with the basic layer. And, and so, so it's kind of reversed our, our, our direction towards self-actualization and so on. Please allow me to comment on that for a second. Of course. So it's a great That's point. <laughs> yeah. It's a really great point. And 
I think it's important to point out that even before this crisis, there were large swaths of Americans that live under that level of uncertainty on a daily basis. And, you know, I have a whole chapter about this, and I have a section in, in the chapter on safety about extreme uncertainty. There are people who who grow up in such impoverished conditions or, or, or where there's a lot of violence in the neighborhood. Anytime they step outside of their house, they're at a greater probability than, than most other Americans in terms of whether or not they'd be shot or something to happen to them. And they've had to deal with this kind of uh, level of uncertainty their whole lives. So I just want to just point out for a second that we've already seen the experiment of what happens under those conditions. Um, and psychologists have documented that and shown that when we're pitched, when any of us, and this is a point I wanted to make in my book about how uh, any one of us, when we are severely deprived of any of these needs, we all look the same. You know, there's. I really, I really hope that that, but the common humanity shines through in this book that I wrote. That I, this is not a book about, um, you know, uh, about in groups and and only certain types of in groups or other in groups or, um, or I don't get into race issues or these or these are just. I try to show that that. At the, at the end of the day, we can all rally around some fundamental basic needs that when any one of us are severely deprived of them, we would act the same way. Well, and, let me ask, let me ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but a lot of people who kind of grew up in, let's say, impoverished neighborhoods or, or you know, on the fringes of society uh, in terms of the poverty line or, or in other parts of the world where, that are less developed, would you say there's a difference between like what – they don't necessarily live under uncertainty. They live. They they just struggle to have their physical, their basic physical needs met. But they're they're kind of certain of that, which is different than I feel what's happening now, where uh, an entire you know hundreds of millions of people have been stripped of things that they felt certain about that now have become uncertain. So I wonder if there's a little more craziness when you when you when the level of certainty versus uncertainty moves. Well, I'm referring to certainty of survival. And I think that it's fair to say that there's plenty of people based on their environmental conditions in America have had to deal their whole lives with the uncertainty of uh, along of their mortality. And you do see you do see that we that in those under those conditions, people tend to focus more on the present. They tend to be more interested in uh, in in like reproduction is interesting. You you see earlier age of, of of reproduction in in certain environments. You see you tend to see you tend to see a certain cluster of things. You tend to you know see aggression and anxiety. Now I'm I'm certainly not speaking about everyone in those environments. There's huge differences, but um, variation even within the conditions. But you do tend to you know there, these experiments have have natural experiments have been done on people who didn't ask to be in certain environments, and you tend to see some tend to see certain things. So I do think we're seeing similar things in a large scale way in America. A lot of people who have never um, have have taken for granted their certainty, we should say. <laughs> um, and what they're doing under such conditions is they're being pitched into this state of psychological entropy, which is a technical term that psychologists use to define uh, this state of 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 complete uncertainty, you know, like we're all cybernetic systems. We can really get nerdy about this at a very detailed level. But I know you probably like to keep your podcast at a uh, a, a, a level that will appeal to the most people, <laughs> most listeners. No, not, I mean, I think I think by the end of this conversation, I know we're going to get to like the great thing about your book is it's very practical in terms of 
achieving these higher goals of, and what it means to achieve these higher states of transcendence and what methods we can use and what challenges there are. So, so we're, we're, we're going to get there. There's all these ex specific exercises you give, which Maslow never really did. It, I, for me, studying Maslow, you know, when I was in college or whatever, uh, I was always uncertain what self-actualization was. And I think you explained it very well, but then you got into this practical level about trans, what you call trans transcendence, which you know, you got very practical, which I appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And we, and I can't wait to get there to get to that discussion as well. You know, discussing both this, this in deep insecurity and what that does to humans is just as important as discussing our higher possibilities. You know, I tried not to neglect one or the other in the book. I try to talk about how we can integrate these things in our, in our daily lives. Yeah. And you have, um, you had this great quote from, uh, John Paulus, which I, I, I highlighted and I'm trying to find it, but he had a great quote about uncertainty. Uh, the mathematician, the only yeah. certainty we have is uncertainty or something like that. Yeah. Uncertainty is the only certainty there is. And knowing yeah, how to yeah. live with insecurity is the only security. And that really, that quote, I'll say it again. Uncertainty is the only certainty there is. And knowing how to live with insecurity is the only security. That quote more than anything applies to this situation right now, but in general, it applies to of course, everyday life, you know, you, we never really know anything. We just can make lots of assumptions, but, uh, I think it's a very beautiful thing to, to, to practice living with uncertainty. Absolutely. Well, we're learning, we're, we're learning this skill right now, aren't we? You know, yes. a lot of us out of necessity, out of immediate necessity. And there's also going to be this cur you know, there's, there's certainly this, uh, some people are arguing there's a, a uh, we're, we're shooting exponentially toward, uh, towards danger of the zone, and and you and maybe you could would challenge that. We talked a little bit about this beforehand, but but also you're seeing this psychologically as well. You're seeing um, an exponential uh, shooting up of of psychological entropy, is what I would argue. I mean, we can get really technical about this. I could probably draw graphs and stuff, but that's not being talked about as much. Right, but 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 define that. So entropy is sort of like this state where things move from order to chaos. Yes, but that happens, correct, but that happens in other physical systems. It's been described how other you know, thermodynamic systems work, but it, but it also applies to human beings. We're, we're whole systems, you know. Our body and mind are so connected to each other to the extent to which we have so much anxiety in our overall system. It, put, it pitches us into this state where lots of other systems shut down. We narrow our attention. We don't we get maybe even start acting irrationally like we go and we uh, buy and hoard as much toilet paper as possible I think is one outcome of psychological entropy this is something psychologists should study in this moment this is a great time for psychologists to to study humans you know um, and and it's it's understandable it is a great moment. yeah it's understandable why why we would act this way on mass but I also think it's important to recognize that we also have the capacity to override some of these things. And I think that's why mindfulness meditation is really important right now. It's super well, duper well, important. Many of the exercises actually uh, that you talk about in your, in your book are applicable right now, but you know, it's interesting because, you know, so you, you write uh, in your book pretty early on how Maslow kind of broke down the needs into two groups. One is deficiency and one is growth. And I think in general, a lot of people in at least American society tend to focus on growth. Like they focus on their, their careers, their family, 
that, you know, how to be more successful, how to achieve that esteem, how to achieve that self-actualization. But now suddenly everybody's been kind of reversed back into deficiency. So everybody got afraid. Oh my gosh, I'm going to run out of toilet paper or I'm going to run out of hand sanitizer. And so they just, without the self-actualization parts, they kind of just went into this, this lack mode, which, which drove people, which, which created this, what you call entropy, but just created this kind of insanity. No doubt about it. We are in deficiency realm of human existence right now. Maslow distinguished between the deficiency realm and the being realm or the growth realm of human existence as well. And there is no doubt that we're, we're pitched into this deficiency realm, not just in terms of our survival, but in terms of our connections as well as our um, and, and you may see this even more if the economy doesn't work out, but you'll see actually esteem. Um, you know, we, we we don't like to admit it. You know, we like to think, oh, we're above the need for esteem from others, you know, pride for the work we do and the respect we do. But if we're out of a job and we have um, uh, don't have opportunities to do things to, to make us feel like we're valuable uh, or, uh, or have some sort of what psychologists call self-competency or mastery, um, that's going to be uh, even further contributing to our deficiency state. Well, and you, you describe later on in the book, you describe self-esteem as having two components, self-worth and mastery. But you oh, also, you read my book. <laughs> Thank of, you. Of course Yay! I read your book. <laughs> no, I just, I, just, I just want to say I really appreciate it. You know, not all interviewers really do. Do you know what I mean? So thank you. No, no. Well, first off, by the way, it's, I will say, and it's going to sound odd on a book like this, but it's a page turner because A, oh. you kind of follow Maslow's careers while you're describing all these you know, different theories about what we need and how, and, and how we can grow and how we can get self-actualized or, or transcend. And, uh, but it's also a really good history of psycho all the different psychological theories over the past 100 years. And I, I want to ask you about that in a second, but you, you, again, you describe there's two components of self-esteem, self-worth and mastery, but you also imply that as opposed to the self, the, you know, the pop psychology, self-esteem books that became popular you know, really from the 70s or 60s until now, that it might not be the case of just sort of repeating, you know, I'm a good person, I'm the best, you know, that that basically self-worth and self-esteem is is inextricably linked to mastery and, and it, rather than vice versa. Like you get competent at something and then you feel good about yourself because other people validate that you got good at something. So So you can't just sort of like, you know, mantra your way to, to self-esteem, it feels, or, or, or in general, that's not the direction that it works. Yeah, you nailed it. Ultimately, at this moment, we need to practice our transcendence. And, and this is where, where I assume we're getting at in this conversation. This might be a good lesson for a lot of us during this time. And me too, by the way. It's not like I'm standing here like some guru, you know, being like, oh, I'm above all this and I'm just, you know, look at these humans. You know, I just want to be very clear, you know, I, I'm a freaking train wreck as well. So look. No, we, but, we all are right yeah. now. And, and yeah, I, think it's, yeah. I think it's silly not to admit that. Like even on, I just did an Instagram live where I was asking everybody, what's your anxiety level now versus, um, where it was before this started. Everybody was basically kind of honest about 50%. And that's probably the same for, for me as well. Meaning I'm yeah, more, more anxious, you know, or I'm less, 50% less calm now than, than I was a few weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. But I think that this will, there, there will, will flatten the curve of psychological entropy. 
eventually and pretty soon. And what I mean by that, and that's something that's not being discussed. Like what I just said is not like something you'll hear. But I think if we fly, we can, we should fly, work on flying the curve of psychological entropy as much as we should work on flying the curve of the actual virus spread. But the thing is, if we can flatten that curve, what we'll realize is that for any moment of panic, there's just a natural ending point. Our, our system can't handle that much. So there will be a certain point where we actually start to just not even give a F anymore. <laughs> you know, like, like there will be a point if this goes on so long, you know, there, that we'll look at the news and actually start to be desensitized to yet another, you know, uh, call for panic. We'll be like, you know what? <laughs> like my, I've, I've, I've gone two months <laughs> with this. I'm just don't even going to give it care anymore, you know? And, and, and I think we'll see, we may see that at a certain point. Well, and, 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 you know, I wonder if in some cases, because we're dealing with these, the base needs instead of the, the these growth needs, if that, if there's, there's some positive elements of that in that, for instance, I actually find that I'm, I'm thinking less about what thing pe people think of me now than I did a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. yeah because I, and, and in fact, you know what I realized it was very interesting is that I actually feel like I really don't like a lot of people I thought I liked. Mm -hmm. Like I see, I'm going through the same thing, James. I'm going through the same thing. Yeah, and 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 it's very interesting. What so what's what's going on there? Like that it, that seems like almost reverse the hierarchy of needs. No, it it is because well, it's pitching us into this state where we're focused so narrowly on the essentials, and those essentials may not just be uh, survival essentials. They may actually be like essentials of meaning. You know, like we may be focused on our meaning essentials right now to a degree that we never have before. So we start to realize, well, I, look how much of my life I've wasted over caring about what assholes think of me. And and, and I, that's a realization I had, by the way. This is not just some abstract thing. I, I did you see did you happen to see a tweet I wrote a couple of days ago where I said, I'm done. You know, it, it went viral because uh, I, I think so many people relate to this. I Wait, said, yeah, you should out. look it up and read it, out, read it out loud. Um, yeah, read it out loud. Okay, hold on, hold on. We're getting there. Nice picture of your book in the tweets. Um, okay, this pandemic has made me realize that I just don't have time to please everyone anymore. I'm done. Trolls, goodbye. Assholes, goodbye. Hardcore cynics, goodbye. Whatever time I have left, this is the new SBK. Only good faith humans are worth my time. And you know, that is so true. And the thing is, here's the thing. That's what someone... Uh, on the self-esteem, on the esteem level of the hierarchy of needs would also say, but it seems like we're also forced to say it when we no longer are trying to get esteem because we don't care anymore. That's exactly right. That's the great, that's such a, a great uh, astute point you made. And only a fellow Carnegie Mellon graduate would have made such an astute point. Well, I, I was say. thrown out of, of, of Carnegie Mellon. Only no, well, only a uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, throw Attendee. reject. One yeah, time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, no, but um, no, it's a really good point, and the, 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 that tweet came from didn't come. It genuinely didn't come from a place of ego, as far as I could tell, in terms of the spirit of what I was feeling in that moment. I'll tell you what I was feeling. I had a weighted blanket. If you if you read the tweet right before it, you'll see the genesis of that. I had a weighted blanket that I was suffocating from. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, by the way, when I read I read your, the the main tweet first, and then I read that one, the weighted blanket one, uh, yeah. and I thought you were being metaphorical. No, no, no. I literally this weighted blanket is suffocating me. I thought you were talking 
about this crisis. <laughs> no, no, I actually tried one of these weight blankets because they say they advertise they'll, they'll they'll cure my autism, my ADHD, my anxiety disorder, my OCD, my schizophrenia, and so I was like, okay, I'm gonna try it. And and I'm literally you gotta you gotta imagine the state of my mind as I was writing that uh, the tweet that did go viral. You know, the the viral yeah. for me. You know what I mean by viral? Yeah. So not Justin Bieber level viral, but my level of viral. <laughs> but um, but anyway, I had this blanket on me. Um, and I um, wrote that and I had, you know, I, I had some trolls responding to it. And I, and I just thought to myself, you know what, like, I really, like, don't have time for this. <laughs> like, I may be suffocating right now. Like, I just care about about people that 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 we have, there's a mutual caring about. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and people, uh, so I'm looking at the the trolls and their responses, by the way. People are just... People are just idiots in general, and, I, and it's not a surprise. And I, and and by the way, I don't hate people for doing this because they're all dealing with their own thing. But like your yeah. the first comment here is, you won't be suffering from any disorders if you suffocate to death. Yeah, exactly. Like, duh. Like first off, a that's the most obvious statement in the world. Like yes, that's a true statement. You won't be X if you die, and <laughs> that's just always true. Second. That's the main response everybody has to everything. Like, oh, I hate filling out this Excel spreadsheet for work. Oh, yeah. we won't be filling out Excel spreadsheets if you die. Like, exactly. all right, everybody, just relax on the, reminding everybody that uh, this virus causes death. Like, but the, yeah, it's not like you not forgot that, it. You're exactly right. But then someone wrote something like, "Well, that's guilt that's getting to me," or whatever. And like, and I'm like, "What the like?" What? And and then so I went through this whole like series of exchanges. Where I was like, "What do you mean guilt?" Like, no, it's actually anxi it's proper anxiety I'm experiencing. Like, don't be like you know trying to like say it, it's something. Else. And then he ended up saying, "Oh, I didn't mean guilt. I meant quilt." <laughs> so after all that, it actually turned out maybe that he didn't even mean guilt. And after all, he wrote quilt. <laughs> oh anyway. my god, that is so funny because that because <laughs> they they really did sound annoying like you, you know after he, he this person says that's guilt and you said guilt yeah. about what and then this person says you tell me what's exactly. on your mind that, that, that triggered so me arrogant. that triggered me yeah. you should have you agree with me you agree with me that's that was like oh that would trigger God. you too right that would trigger you too i would be <laughs> yeah. i'd probably block them actually after thank that. you you know what i just want to say this is so like relieving to just have a like a, this conversation with you right now and you like validate my frustration <laughs> But then after all that, he eventually, like two hours later, he comes back on. He's like, actually, I meant quilt. I'm like, what? That's crazy. It must have yeah. just reformatted. So, so, or so quilty, yeah, it seems, quilty. Yeah. But, but so, so it seems like whichever direction you're going in, like if you're going up the growth hierarchy, now you need esteem and then you worry about what people think. And then hopefully if you get self-actualized, you stop worrying about what people think. But the flip side is if you're just trying to survive and understand a, a very complex, uncertain situation that that's very yeah. scary. You also stop caring what people think. So what? What's? So it makes it it makes the theory of of needs a little confusing. Like, did I somehow achieve something by reducing? Yeah. Well, I think that it's important to recognize that we, the goal is not to go from human to not human. So the goal here is not to ever get to a state where you're like, you 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 don't care at all what people think about you. I mean, we're social animals at the end, at the end, even the most enlightened person still remains a social animal, uh, unless they've somehow managed to be transhuman, <laughs> like trans, you know, at a higher level of trans, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. So, um, and, and so I think it's important to have a certain also, you know, and we, and we can get to this kind of transcendent worldview and, and what that means. But part of the transcendent worldview is having a sense of like cosmic humor, 
as well. You know, like being able to also stand above yourself and laugh at yourself as well in your own, it, that's a meta level of, of humor. Do you know what I mean? And you're really good at that too, by the way. I've seen, I've seen your stand-up bits. <laughs> yeah, and you know, because the thing is, what you, what you realize in stand-up is that, or and, you know, in general with, with, with anything, is that there's usually other ways to look at things. And sometimes there's very unusual ways to look at things and that are not common. Like we're all, we're all sort of programmed by society to, to kind of all fit in together and have a standard uh, vocabulary of describing experiences and, and, and feeling experiences. And I think humor sort of looks at alternative ways that, that are maybe a little bit more tension inducing and then it breaks the tension. This is just like maybe one bad theory of humor, like all theories of humor, but uh, you know, it, it, it it's, you, you do have to ha kind of have, but this reminds me of, and you discuss later the the differences between the different types of self-actualization or transcendence ranging from kind of uh, external success in the world ba based on, you know, achieving all these different uh, states of mind. But there's also kind of this Eastern way of looking at things. And I was going to ask you about this, when you feel less attached to things in the world. And, and that's also kind of a meaning of transcendence. And, and so I wonder, I was curious how you would rationalize these things. It is. No, it absolutely is. I talk a lot in the last chapter about what is the worldview of transcendence that, that, um, that Maslow was trying to get at, but that really was co-opted from a lot of Eastern philosophy of Eastern views of self-actualization itself, a self-realization. And, and I think you have to realize that at this highest level of transcendence, there's such a great integration where integration within you and then with you in the world that a lot of things that that are you've taken for granted as dichotomies in your life actually turn out you don't see them as dichotomies at all you kind of see everything as part of this overall unity or or whole now look i know that it all sounds really you know woo woo <laughs> what i just said but i think that we can if we really unpack that we can really start to understand what wisdom is and it really is not having attachments to to and what does not having attachments mean? Well, it's it, none of this is attached to you, not no one part of you becomes the whole of you. I think that's one part of it that's really important. So, 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 so a specific example might be if you're, uh, let's say you you have a job that has a hierarchy. You know, there's like uh, assistants and then uh, associates and then managers and then directors and then VPs and then so on. So there's a hierarchy you might attach your identity to where you are on that hierarchy as an example. Well, that that's definitely one part of it in terms of a hierarchy of rank. Right. And that's certainly, you, you do transcend at that high level, you do transcend the need to compare yourself and your, and your whole self-worth relative to one part of you and where that ranks to others. Which is very hard because, and that's why this self-actualization is very difficult to achieve. Like, I think very few people are able to do that. We're, we're tribal animals, so... We're, we're always going to, there's always going to be this primitive need to put ourselves, to rank ourselves in a hierarchy. Yeah. And you, I'm really glad you brought up the tribalism part because I, I talk about that a great deal, a great depth in the connection chapter is the need for connection. And what I try to do is separate the need for connection, um, which is a lower need to the need for love or what Maslow called be love, love for the being of others, uh, which is a higher, more, more transcendent need. And I think we can, to, to a large degree, transcend our tribal impulses. I think we can transcend any of these lower order impulses 
but it's it's harder work. It's easier. the The path of least resistance is just walking around, letting your evolution, your most deep seated evolutionary drives, drive you. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I could be. Eating, I could eat chocolate all day long. Trust me. <laughs> but then, but but we but we all kind of know if you did that, it probably wouldn't have a good outcome. You know, because then then I mean, like for instance, even like if we all walked around trying to find sex all day long, that that creates its own set of problems in living in a functioning society as well. Uh, so, And you I, see examples of people in the media who've tried that, and that doesn't end well for them, usually. Right. So I guess, I guess, you know, we could start getting into the kind of the specifics of how you kind of move beyond all these different states, or even in a situation like now where we feel ourselves being pulled back from the needs that were, or, or, or yeah, yeah, where we are in the hierarchy of needs that we're accustomed to, things have been stripped from our daily life experience, understanding kind of these principles of self-actualization and then what you call uh, transcendence is very help helpful. And I really like how you describe uh, having a sense like one of the first, I'll call it a technique. I don't think you do that, but one of the first techniques is having a strong sense of possibility and a strong desire to explore. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the need for exploration because that's a need that that wasn't explicitly stated in Maslow's original hierarchy of needs. He called it, he had a thing called cognitive needs, cognitive and aesthetic needs. Um, which which are a part of the need for exploration, but the need for exploration is a, is as I see it a more overarching need that we do share with other animals, but takes a unique form in humans that causes us to go toward the uncertain. You know, there's uh, so many of us are not even aware of that option. <laughs> We're, we think right. the only option when there's uncertainty is to fear it. But there are these humans, there are individual differences, there are great individual differences in that. And I've been studying most of my career, 20 years I've been studying this trait called openness to experience. And people differ on this personality trait, but those who score high in openness to experience get excited by uncertainty. It like tickles their uh, dopaminergic synapse, so to speak. I'm such a nerd. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think you, I think the, the, and you kind of describe this more in the, in the exercises you give later, but... Uh, uh, I think you call them the B exercises, but that's right. You know, Maslow called them that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, you divide cognitive exploration into two things, an openness to experience and intellect. And these are things that maybe separate a little bit humans from animals. So for instance, uh, somebody who's never played golf before could decide, oh, okay, I'm going to just, tr so I'm going to try golf this weekend and I'm going to figure it out, you know, so that's openness to experience. And then, you know, they'll, they'll watch other people. They'll start to get better. They'll use their intellect to get better. And I think, I think this openness to experience is very important because for me, what the way I understand it is you start to diversify your hierarchies. If all you do is go to work, you're going to put yourself in that hierarchy of like, Oh, am I a manager or am I a VP? And how do I compare myself? But if on the weekends you do something else or at night you do something else and you diversify the different hierarchies you're ranking yourselves in, then, then you won't feel as down if one hierarchy is not feeling as good for you that day. Oh gosh. I love that. I, I agree. Is that how you live your life? Cause I, I actually try to live my life that like that as well. Absolutely. Because I used to, you know, day trade, 
this is like almost 20 years ago. I used to day trade. And if it, it, I knew that if my day had not gone well, that I was just going to be miserable and not be able to sleep. So I very would, I would consciously dive deep into something else that I felt I could perform well in. Like for instance, I would go online and play chess for instance, or I would, yeah. you know, take a long walk or, or something like that. But it has to be something you're really interested in. You, you can only explore things uh, that you're either, that you either already love doing or that you could potentially love. So there, there's the exploration part. If, if I'm, if I explore something and I don't really, if I'm not really getting feedback pretty quickly that, oh, this is great, then it, it's over for me. I have to go to something else. Yeah, and I think you you see that it's very common among high creative individuals. Not you know, not necessarily talking about high achievers, but just people who have a creative life. I'm definitely not a general. high achiever, but I, I I am a dilettante in lots <laughs> of things. I'd say you are. I'd say you are. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, the whole well, the whole thing about achievements at the higher level of consciousness at this transcendent level or what I call healthy transcendence, which I distinguish from unhealthy transcendence because you see a lot of unhealthy transcendence in the world today. But at, at a healthy a level of healthy transcendence, even words like achievement don't have meaning anymore. Like lots of words lose meaning at that level of consciousness. Like even selfishness loses meaning because what does that mean anymore? Like you're, what you love doing is benefiting the world. So how is, you know, what, what meaning does that have anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and and um, you you refer to this. There's a quote. Uh, uh, I, I I think it's you quoted somebody else, but where you say, um, uh, you know, the dire the direction is more important than the destination. I forgot who yeah, said that. Yeah, Carl Rogers. Carl Rogers. Yeah, and so uh, I thought that was very insightful. I mean, obviously, Carl Rogers said it. You repeated it, and now I'm saying it's insightful, which is sort of uh, an an after. It doesn't really matter, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that's what you're saying is that the achievement doesn't like it. it let's say I want to get better at golf. It's not it's not like I'm going to stop when I uh, hit a certain handicap level or whatever. It's just the direction itself, like the process of improvement, is really the the key thing there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just you just said it so well. And so okay, so so again, uh, in terms of getting enough steam to not care what people think. Obviously mastery is important and part of mastery is being open to possibility and, and then using their, your intellect to sort of, you know, uh, master the possibilities that sort of resonate with you. Like, how would you say, um, one finds the things, I mean, you talk a lot about purpose later on in the book, which is related to this. How do people find the things that really kind of give them a sense of purpose? I, I tend to take a Viktor Frankl approach to this and he was very clear that you don't you don't find your calling your calling finds you uh, you know and okay that's that sounds good and people are like well what does that actually mean <laughs> well it i think it means that we don't have to worry so much about finding our one true purpose i right. think that right now in this climate we're in with the coronavirus I think this is the time, folks. You you have a purpose. <laughs> I'm giving it to you. If 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 you if you didn't ever think you had a purpose before this time, you can literally go volunteer for some shelter and help people, and that's a good enough purpose. <laughs> you know, but, like but, but, as, but you as know any. What? Even being yeah. conscious of the fact that so so like Viktor Frankl says in in the book, and you and you quote him. In some ways, so his book is Man's Search for Meaning. It's a great book. 
uh, obviously Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz. His family was killed. And every day he managed to survive by finding meaning in his life. And you, you quote yeah. him here. Um, you say, he said, in some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. And so for him, he had, uh, in his book, he had two ways of deriving meaning in his life. One is the hope that he would eventually see his wife alive again, which unfortunately he never did. And then um, he had a sense of meaning in that he wanted to write about these psychological discoveries he was making while a prisoner in, in, in this concentration camp. And so, but just being aware that he needed meaning in his life enabled him to survive. And I think that's a healthy thing to be aware of. Very, very much so. I mean, he argued that the 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 will to meaning is just as fundamental uh, and as the will to power or the will to love. You know that we need that too in our lives. So, so yeah. So let's say someone's listening to this, and and there's so many different directions we could talk about. But this sense of finding finding some meaning again. You made a good point. It's not just one. Not nobody has just one man made purpose that they were put on this earth to do. You could have many pur purposes, purpi, purposei, uh, and, and that's, that's the whole idea of this cognitive exploration is always being open to this sense of possibility, always exploring new things where your, your interests and your heart take you. But what are some methods for you? Like, what do you feel your sense of purpose is right now? What, what, how do you find meaning in your life? I try to uplift people as much as I can and show them that, that even under, I, I guess I'm going to start sounding like I'm Victor Frank, I'm channeling Victor Frank all of a sudden, but I, I think that a big part of my motivation is I want to show even under the most seemingly dire of circumstances, we can still create joy and meaning and, um, and transcendence, um, in our lives, probably more than people realize. So like for you right now, for instance, uh, what what has given you meaning and a sense of purpose? Obviously, this book coming out has given you meaning and a sense of purpose. Yeah, that's a big one. The book is a big one for me. Um, as, may, as, as, as silly as this may sound, I, I've, I found using my Twitter platform has, 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 has given me a sense of purpose as well because it's, it's just a, it's an outlet for me to keep spreading that positivity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's part of the whole kind of social needs as well, that even though it doesn't, it doesn't feel, and people make fun of it. Oh, you're not really talking to people. You're not face to face with them, but it's still, you are getting kind of validation from the community when you're, and, or from individuals when you're interacting with them on what used to be called social networking and is now unfortunately called social media. But I think using it as a social network has power in terms of satisfying those social needs and also maybe providing meaning. That's exactly right. Um, another thing that do provides meaning, it dawned on me, is I really like truth-seeking. And I, I, so I write this column in Scientific American. I like to get at the real essence of things and, and synthesize them and synthesize multiple perspectives. I, I think that my science writing can, can offer some value, I hope. Yeah, well, like, what's the last topic you wrote about? Um... Uh, probably about caregiving and caregiving professions. Why are there not more men in caregiving professions? And 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 how if we had more men and, and you know, we focus so much on women, you know, in uh, in 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 male dominated fields. Well, what happened if we cared about 
everyone, you know, who's underrepresented in their fields and how that would rise the tide for everyone, for instance. So, you know, in the book, you talk about, when you start to talk about self-actualization, you talk about four qualities that, uh, you know, sort of this, you mentioned this term, be loving, this higher level of, of love based on, you know, appreciating the, the beingness of others. And you talk about four qualities of what you call the quiet ego, um, detached awareness, inclusive identity, uh, perspective taking, the ability to take on more than one perspective, which I think is really key, and growth mindedness. So the perspective taking, I, I think is really interesting. I, I, I want, I'm curious what you think Thank of this. Um, I just read this quote the other day. I read, uh, I was reading a book by Charlie Munger. It's poor Charlie's almanac. It's just a book of his speeches and stuff. And he says that you shouldn't state an opinion or even have an opinion really. And this is his own view, but it's a very interesting perspective. You shouldn't have an opinion unless you can argue for the other side even better than the people who are on the other side, which I think is very interesting. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I really do love that. I I try to do that. I, I really try to do that in, in 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 from a scientific perspective. We're always trying to falsify our our hypothesis. It's it's like the exact opposite of what people in the real world do. <laughs> you know, who are non scientists. They're they're everything they do is to confirm their preconceived idea, but we actually try, if, if we can't falsify it, then that suggests that it might actually be true. So that that's actually, that's like exciting to scientists if we can't, if we do everything we can to try to falsify it and we can't, you know, like. That. But, but it's very important, like even in entrepreneurship or investing, uh, you know, if you start a business, there's, I, I call this the smoking crack bias, which is that I, most people I know who start businesses, they think their business is amazing. It's like the best business ever. And from, and just simply being on the outside, you could very easily see, oh, this guy is smoking crack or not. And uh, mm. whenever I start a new business or a new uh, venture or adventure, I always have to ask myself, am I smoking crack? What are all the things that can go wrong and and how do I how do I deal with that? And then also this it's important just even for things like this, you know, trying to understand what's going on with this coronavirus. Like what happened? You know, there's all these different policy decisions they're making. Like should you do herd immunity? Should you do full lockdown quarantining? And if you have an opinion in this totally very new complex environment, it's very important to be able to at least argue the other side to see if if you're making sense or not. Well, I, I agree. I, I think that's a, a key element of intelligence. In fact. Yeah, and 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 on the growth mindedness, you 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 have a very interesting quote, which is uh, turning down the dial on one's ego also allows for a mindset of personal growth. So tell, describe that to me. So I'm dialing down my ego. Uh, uh, how does that tr- how does that translate into a mindset of personal growth? There seems to be this paradoxical relationship between our ego and growth. Um, we can also we can tie ego to defenses to our defenses. So some people might define ego in different ways. I just view it as the all the all the defenses that you have within yourself that that tries to protect some positive image of yourself. So it, it, it's like all the things that is incessant, you know, incessantly interested in 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 seeing ourselves in a positive light. But uh-huh. if but if we can this that's how I define it, and in, in defining it that way, you see this paradoxical relationship. Well, if you can turn the volume down on that, 
and get outside of yourself in that way and look at all the things that actually lead to your growth, then you can transcend just being in the boat of like, you know, if we want to use a sailboat metaphor, you can secure your boat and you can make it, the boat look as really, really nice, pretty. You can put aesthetics all over the boat. You can paint it really nice. But until you open that sail, you're never actually going to move anywhere. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Well, it's interesting because the way you the way you just defined ego was was very interesting, which was almost this very sad uh, view of people with a, a, a lot of ego as opposed to a healthy ego. So, like, let's say someone is tied to this identity. Uh, I'm really well educated. I have a lot of money. I have these achievements, and then let's say. I don't know, they go broke. I mean, this has happened to me, is that you've been holding up this identity and using your all your energy to hold up this identity. It gets kind of scary when you lose that and you have to be comfortable with that. You have to, you have to actually subtract from your ego so you're not trying to hold up this thing that's no longer possible to hold up, this, this, this feature, this part of your identity. And I guess being vulnerable in some sense allows you the freedom to not have to hold up your ego anymore. So that gives you more room for, for personal growth. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny, like a lot of the things you're saying are tie into recent tweets that I, that I did. Um, so I, I put one yesterday about how like it, it was quite a, quite a elucidating to me when I had to suddenly drop my Columbia university identity, you know, like which for the time being I've had to drop and, 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 and I'm just like, I'm just SBK now, you know? And like, what does that look like? And will anyone just like, will people just like S just like SBK just for who I am, my, who like my cheeky, quirky, um, you know, truth seeking nerdy self, like, is that good enough? And being able to being, being able to confront that it has been a really valuable lesson for me as well as I think growth oriented. It's contributed to growth. So, so this is all related to uh, having a healthy authenticity. And I always wonder about this because people say, oh, just be yourself. Uh, like you're going into an important no. meeting, just be yourself. Terrible. You're, yeah. Yeah. It always seems to me to be terrible advice. So never works for me. <laughs> no, yeah. <I'm> <laughs> yeah. Cause A, I don't even really know what it means, but, but what to you, what is authenticity and what's, what's the difference between healthy authenticity and unhealthy authenticity, uh, authenticity. You mentioned both types. I really need to shave, but um, here, okay, <laughs> here, okay. Here's the thing. I shave. That's the one thing I try to stick to every day. Is I, I shave every day. I forgot to. I also need a haircut. This is. I hope. Thank gosh, video is not, you know, going up on this. But <laughs> look, here's the thing. You look great. I'll oh, stop it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. So here's the thing. Everyone, everything in life. This is the framework upon which I have been working on with this book and in life in general. Everything by itself is neither good or bad. Everything actually has a B flavor to it and a D flavor to it, a deficiency uh, motivation or a growth motivation to it. Everything. You can view everything in life within this framework. Now, I've some people, when I've outlined this framework to them, they said that like it completely changed their their whole view of, of everything in life. And and this was Maslow's framework and it it changed it really it inspired me to write this book and, and devote five years of my life to writing it because I believe in it. So this is a long-winded way of answering your question because I think there's a larger point I wanted to make from this. And yes, it applies to authenticity as well. So authenticity can have a D so I call it de-authenticity versus be-authenticity. And I explicitly make that distinction in my book. So de-authenticity is the kind of authenticity where you say well, I'm authentic because I say everything that's on my mind. You know, no, as I say in the book, that just makes you an asshole. Hmm. 
Like, you know, like, like that's, just like, the, saying that's like the radical yeah. honesty movement is essentially that. <laughs> I mean, if someone's like, you know, uh, I don't know, ask your, your opinion on something and, and you know, you, you give, you tell the truth, it's deeply going to hurt your friend's feelings, you know, like they're, that's not necessarily like to be pride. Oh, look, I'm just authentic. You know, like there, you're allowed to have sensitivity. So I think like be authenticity is a growth oriented form of authenticity or I call it healthy authenticity as well, um, where you are growing and learning to, as a whole person and you're and the form of authenticity that you put out in the world is one that's grounded in, um, deep honesty, but it's also an awareness of a relational, the relational aspect is important there because if we can increase our relationships, we're also contributing to our capacity for growth as well. So it, it, it's not saying everything that's on your mind. It's actually, it's actually being quite mindful and conscious of what sides of yourself you're, you're actualizing and you're focusing on in, at that moment. But, but, you know, it's hard, like you have this healthy authenticity scale and uh, so you can ask yourself, or do you, does this apply to you? And you have a whole list of things. And like one of them is, uh, I have a very good understanding of why I do the things I do. And I could see someone saying, oh, of course, I have a very good understanding of why I do the things I do without actually having a very good understanding. <laughs> <laughs> that's so like, the pro- well, that's the problem with self-report. Yeah, because like, for instance, I could say, I can give, I can give, again, I'll use coronavirus as an example. I can give very good reasons why the economy should reopen and blah, blah, blah. And it's, there's this data and this data, but maybe, and maybe I, I, I think I'm saying this because this is the facts and this is data and I'm just trying to express what, what people don't see, but maybe I'm just scared. And that's why I'm, I'm saying that. So, so it's hard right, to right. actually know. Okay. So this is very true. This is, this is the real problem with self-report and, 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 and a limitation of putting such a thing in the book. But I think that even just being aware of the importance of being aware <laughs> is hopefully valuable to people. So some people may never have dawned on them that they could be self-deceiving themselves. So even the act of forcing people to think, are you really self-deceiving yourself, may actually be a valuable act in and of itself. And this may be may get philosophical, but... Yeah, no, I, I agree. So So... Uh, being able to, at the very least, being able to be a skeptic of and, and to and to be curious. And you refer to the importance of curiosity many times. It's you use, I, I think the words exploration and curiosity could be almost interchangeable in, in the book. And and even being curious about your own motives with the understanding uh, that you might not be correct uh, is it, that in itself is, is valuable for always. Uh, determining where you are on the authenticity scale. Because sometimes you might not always realize, oh my gosh, I just realized I was inauthentic about this. But at least you might sometimes realize or it might move you on the spectrum saying, look, there's part of me that's scared and that's probably why I have this opinion. But also there's some data here as well. And uh, so at least be, you know, being curious about about the self-reporting, about how you're self-reporting yourself could expand the or broaden the spectrum of your authenticity. I completely agree. And and so now we start to get into your your uh notions of transcendence and you know oh. <laughs> right and so and this is really the the goal is that you know hopefully we're in a society where a lot of these other needs are met or at least we we have them under 
uh, or, or we manage them. And by the way, there's no directions. You can aim for transcendence and then that will provide you with more food because more people will respond to your message and, and give you opportunities and so on. So they all kind of work together. But you talk about, um, you know, there, you have more of an intrinsic award for experiences you do, I, I guess, as opposed to uh, external rewards. Uh, you know, you, you, you talk about having a momentary loss of fears, anxieties, and inhibitions, greater acceptance and forgiveness, uh, heightened awe and surrender. And so let's, let's start to talk now about techniques for, for, for getting this. Mm. The practical, yes, <laughs> not just the theoretical, <laughs> cause I have a, I'm very good at the theoretical. No, but you're very good at the practical too, because you no, have the you. you have the you, the B exercises. You know, for instance, I sold my I sold myself short just there. So thank you for yes. I'm that. I'm not going to let you be self deprecating because you've got these really great exercises that I'm going to start doing. Like uh, you know, and this is what this first one is related to your you know being open to possibility. You say the first exercise you give is sample things. What what do you mean by that? Are we at the buffet table or what? What should I sample? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is taken from uh, Maslow's exercises to live more in that B realm of human existence, and I was so excited to be able to put together and piece together lots of uh, of things that that were just lay there unpublished, had just laid there. Well, sample sampling things. I, I think what he probably meant by that is, you know, just jump into things that you might not even know. You just don't know if you're gonna like it. You know, but like you're just you're gonna you're it, that's it's part of the drive of exploration. I I break down exploration in different forms of exploration, and one part of it is social exploration. You know, sample different people. <laughs> yeah. You know, like maybe you've never been friends with a Republican before. Well, become friends with a Republican. Like it, you know, like try it out. Try it out. It does, sampling doesn't mean you know that I, you're locked Scott, in. Scott, Scott, you just lost half my audience. <laughs> yeah, but oh, did I really? Because no, they no, don't no, even want to say. Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Wait, did I lose the Republicans or the or the Democrats? <laughs> Probably both. That's what happens when you're when you polarize. But uh, no, I, I I hear what you're saying though. Like it's important to to be open to other subcultures that you might be interested in, or uh, so you know that's kind of social exploration. Or go go to a, a, a you know I I don't go out dancing very much. Maybe go out dancing with your spouse or whoever, or, you know, just trying, you know, don't, you, you have another exercise here, which is fight familiarization and seek fresh experiences, which is kind of a different way of saying the same thing. You know, if you, if you get stuck in a routine, that's kind of a, a signal that you need to, to find a fresh experience. Totally. There's a, I, there's a, you know, Maslow came up with the different characteristics of self-actualizing people and which I've been trying to test. And I actually have the test you could take for free at selfactualizationtests.com. But one of the main components of self-actualization is newness of appreciation. And that means that y you see the same things. So it's not, not quite the same as sampling new things. It's also like being able to appreciate with fresh eyes something that you've seen so many times before. And How do you may have become that? stale to others. Well, mindfulness is certainly one way of cultivating it, but but directing your attention to different features or aspects of something, uh, or uh, or a person, not just a thing, but a person. You know, a lot of people in relationships talk about how passion wanes, and usually that happens when you've taken 
your partner for granted as though they're not a being that is constantly in a state of growth themselves. You know, it's like you, you started to think, view them more as a thing than a person um, and be like, well, oh, I have this thing. Um, and uh, this is this is a point that Esther Perel makes in, in her her great writings as well, you know. And so it's recognizing that all things, most things are still in a state of growth and we can appreciate that sacredness of that, but also appreciate different aspects of it. You know, when you look at a flower that maybe you pass every single day, you'll notice an aspect of it that you never noticed before. And th- this is related to another exercise. Do not, uh, do not let anyone force roles on you, which I think is very important. That, and then you give us an example, do not act the way other people think that a doctor, a minister, or, or a teacher should act. Or like, you know, it was a big realization for me when I realized, oh, I don't have to act like a normal financial, you know, I used to go on CNBC a lot and talk about the economy or stocks or whatever. Mm. And I didn't have to act like a normal financial pundit would act. I could just say what I think. And, you know, if I'm punished for it, so be it. But at least I'll be happier was my thinking at the time. That's awesome. And, you know, another thing also related to that is do not conceal your ignorance. Admit it. Uh, you'll notice pundits on TV never say, I don't know, because they're, they're kind of not, you're not asked back if you, if you say, I don't know. And is that right? Is that right? Oh yeah, definitely. And so, but I think in general, it's, it's such a powerful technique, uh, to basically not be afraid to ask questions, even if it makes you look stupid. Well, I, I think our president would be even better respected <laughs> if, if he, uh, if he said every now and then, you know, look, I don't know, you know, like this is really, uh, out of my hands, out of my jurisdiction. I think we would actually have respect for that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, I, I, w- I would say, I'm trying to think of any president that kind of did that, you know, who, who, who was known for saying, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. They all have pretty, they, people very rarely in public admit they don't know the answer to something. Well, what Rumsfeld was like, we have known unknowns, right. <laughs> unknown, unknown knowns, knowns that are unknown. Right, he had that matrix. Yeah. <laughs> it is known knowns. Do you remember that? Do you yeah. remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it was a two by two in a matrix of, of there was known knowns, known unknowns. Like, for instance, we didn't know if, uh, we knew we didn't know if Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Um, but then there's like uh, uh, unknown unknowns. So we have exactly. no idea what other things might happen if we t- attack Iraq. Yeah. So I mean, people like to hate on Rumsfeld, but like that was kind of humility. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess I guess I, I don't know if it worked for him or not, but I guess I don't know. Yeah. So so listeners are going to listen to me and actually really think I'm a Republican now. <laughs> <laughs> Rumsfeld, what? Do, do you want to go to war? Uh, so so yeah. So what's so 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 now I'm I'm on this I'm on this path. I I buy into this aspect that transcendence is is a good thing, and and maybe you could even describe more like what what it is, what that direction looks like. But what what other things would you recommend, like for for me, if I want to be on the path to, you know, being my, the, my most potential self, what should I do? Yeah, wisdom really does require not thinking of things as false dichotomies. Even if people force false dichotomies on us, you know, being able to say, you know what, I think that 
um, these things are not pitted against each other necessarily, like selfishness versus altruism. Okay, no, I don't think that's... Democrat uh, versus Republican. Democrat, Republican, definitely. Um, even like things like male, female, like you're allowed to have a combination of both these kinds of qualities. You know, you're allowed <laughs> to, to, you know, be... Um, okay, so we, we, we could actually go right down the line. Evil versus good. That's a big one. Uh, we we tend to think like, oh, those are the narcissists and we're not the narcissists. Well, a big part of transcendent thinking is to realize, well, we we have these potentialities within us as well, you know, and um, uh, there isn't such a fine demarcation between your neighbor and you. And I, just there's so many of these kinds of things. Uh, it's called uh, dichotomy transcendence is, is a way of thinking about this. But also seeking out fresh experiences. Well, we already talked about that. Um, also... Being able to not be hit, not hitch your identity to yourself. So if your identity changes, you don't fall apart. Uh, your existence doesn't fall apart, is what I mean. So suddenly you don't feel like you're existenceless. Right. So less. so in, in you you have uh, towards the end of the book you have seven principles for becoming a whole person, and the first principle is accept your whole self, not just your best self. So it's kind of like when you're when your identity starts to have cracks in it or starts to fall apart, you still need to be able to say, well, look, I'm still me. It's just people don't see what I perceive to be the best version of me, but I have to be good with this. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm really glad you even read the appendices. I put a lot of work into those principles and it was like a chapter one sort of thing. And then we had, because they got the book got too big. So they're like, yeah, let's sneak it into the appendix. So thank you for reading that. Oh, no, um, I actually, yeah. I, I actually wish you hadn't, I mean, it, it's it's kind of the the main um, sort of prescriptive part of the book. It's in the I know. appendix. I know. All but that's the, okay. Like, it's still there. Both of the both of the appendices yeah. are the most most prescriptive, and then the rest of it's kind of like science theory and uh, stories and stuff. Stories, anyway, good stories. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the idea of accepting your whole self. This is this is what I've really grappled with, and I've just become convinced is 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 just essential to becoming a whole person because we we can just our brain is 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 designed to just focus on very specific aspects of ourselves and and it tends to be the aspects of ourselves that we we like the best about ourselves so people tend to associate moral things with their true self and they disavow <laughs> disavow the rest, <laughs> all the all the the naughty bad bits. They're like, that's not my true self, and I think that that is not good for growth to think like that. Well, it's all it's all you, right? So you 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 suggest in this section, you say you have to you should ask yourself which potentialities within me do I most wish to spend my limited time cultivating, developing, and actualizing in this world. And so the question is, how do you answer that? How do you get the self-awareness to answer that question because a lot of people will just say oh i need my potential for money to uh, <laughs> uh that's what i want to work on but but that we we know money doesn't necessarily lead to anything i mean it does lead to some you can't you know, obviously having some money is 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 good in our society but it doesn't satisfy all of our needs uh particularly if we have other issues so so how do you get the self-awareness to answer this question about what what is potentially inside of me that I should explore? Well, psychologists have distinguished between security needs or sorry security goals and 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 
status goals. So we can actually distinguish between, well, let's distinguish between status goals and growth goals. So status goals tend to be things, things that are more tied to, to security as well as ego. And those things just don't tend to lead to long-term fulfillment. The, we, we tend to know the kinds of goals that do lead to long-term fulfillment. And, and we have hundreds and hundreds of studies showing this to be the case. So you're, you're probablyistically going to be good if you choose some of these, uh, if you focus on the growth goals. There are things like contribution to society, uh, mastery of, of a skill, uh, things that relate to connections, things that relate to uh, meaningfulness, things that will, that will add deeper meaning into our lives, and there's lots of different paths to meaning that we can have it among humans. If And so when you're choosing, trying to decide what are my potentialities, well, think about which potentialities, if I realized it, would lead to growth and which ones would take me into our deficiency realm. And Carl Rogers actually believed that we have built in a chip called the organism, organismic valuing <laughs> Uh, system and I know it's, it was kind of interesting the way he framed that, but <laughs> and, uh, alternatively, he sometimes referred to it as the self-actualizing tendency. Let's go with that. I think that's better than the OVM. I actually had a. I was actually going to call that section of my book. Are you down with the OVM? Whatever. But okay. So, <laughs> but anyway, I, I think yeah. you na- I think you named it a better title. <laughs> yeah. So self-actualizing tendency. We have it within us, and we actually. If we could really listen to the the deep recesses of ourselves through meditation and deep insight, we we know it's there. We know, and Maslow said this too. We know deep down when we when we've been a bastard. Look, we may deceive ourselves. And I don't have know. All if people of, know. Like I, when people are bastards to me, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong know? about it, but maybe they don't realize it. Oh, oh no, yeah. Maybe they're not aware of it. That's why I said. The, the mindfulness aspect, but I think they have the potential to be aware of it. I think I think it exists that 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 module. I don't think people get in touch with it though, for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm suggesting that we get in touch with it deeply, deeply get in touch with it. Now I've gotten to a point in my life where even if I don't make the growth choice, I'm pretty good at knowing now that I didn't make the growth choice. Uh, sometimes I'll consciously not make the growth choice. I have dark 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 side Sundays where I order takeout pizza. Um, watch Netflix all day. Don't get out of my bed. You know, like the, the, I, I say, look, I'm going to have a dark side day because that's part of just being balanced. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But um, do you see my point? Yeah, yeah. I know it. I may, I mindfully made the choice. And and I guess I guess look when you're cre- and you have this principle. One of the principles you have here is create the best version of yourself. And the best version of yourself doesn't mean you're going to be the best all the time. It means no. you're you're going to be aware of, you know, when you're perhaps acting on purpose suboptimally, but you do your best with it. That's exactly right. And Maslow is very clear that self-actualizing people weren't perfect. You know, they they took out the trash just like the rest. I don't know. Well, that that is not an example of not being imperfect. But they what what they, I don't know. They they would get at temper like the rest of us. It's not like they were these, you know, just uh, c- celestial beings, <laughs> angels. Uh, in fact, and this is kind of cool. I, I've looked, I've really looked into this because I was like, does there actually exist any purely moral people in this world? Is that a thing? And there has been studies done in this that show that that is not, there, there's no one who, if you, if you track them throughout the course of their day, uh, they're like at a hundred percent and making moral decisions all the time. Like person, human personality is just a uh, density free distributions. What that means is that all of us 
uh, go dip between the one, two, three, four, and five on that scale throughout the day. It's just that there are some human beings that, in terms of frequencies and frequency distribution, they're much more on the fours and fives in terms of their distribution. But it doesn't mean that they don't have the ones and twos. Did that make sense? At yeah, all? yeah, and. Well, and I think, um, and I'm, I'm kind of going down the different principles because they're all sort of connected with each other. I mean, they're all really the same, the same thing, but it's different ways to, I think each one of these principles people should look at and see which ones resonate with them because those are the ones probably that they could uh, relate to and focus on and, and improve. So I like this principle number six, which I think is a good guidepost, strive for growth, not happiness. So if you're going to make an action nice. where... Uh, Oh, and you think to yourself, I want to do this because it'll make me happy. You should probably at least take a step back and say, well, okay, but will this be a growth decision? So, you know, cause that, 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 that could be a much more important way of determining if you should do an action. Yeah, that's great. Uh, some things that may bring us happiness in the moment are detrimental to long to longer term growth. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so. I guess just what do you do? Like, do you, do you ask, like, when's the situation where you've chosen growth over happiness? <laughs> well, I'm going to be just honest. Uh, well, you know, like, okay, so sometimes I get emails from just really annoying people who, they're like, hey, would you read my entire dissertation for me and, and, and comment on it? And by the way, it's due tomorrow. And it's and I'm not and keep in mind I'm not their advisor I've never talked to them before do you know what I mean this is the kind of request yeah, I get yeah yeah now now it actually it would actually make me happy to respond with a big f you you know and like like who do you think you are you know like but I realize and 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 it's almost been a, a universal principle with me when I've overridden overridden that and and chosen I'm like I'm gonna just choose choose growth in this moment and respond with kindness and even saying no, but with kindness as opposed to what I, what would actually bring me happiness in that moment, <laughs> or I should say some sense of like primal satisfaction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I have found it, it often leads to unexpectedly positive things that I never could have predicted. It's almost like, um, George Costanza and Seinfeld doing the opposite of what he wants to do yeah. all day long. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I his, love it. and his life gets great after that. <laughs> Yeah. So that, oh my God, we should actually end on that note because that's like the ultimate example is a George Costanza reference. <laughs> well, okay. I, I do want to say though, this is a great book. Like just reading it, put a lot of things in my mind of things that I could do better in my own life. And uh, uh, a, a lot of it too was a reminder of, you know, it's like you say, people, people, we're all just trying. And so like I've written some versions of some of these ideas. Uh, I remember once I wrote an article about every decision is a fear decision or a growth decision, which is kind of similar to your deficiency versus growth. But you often, for in times of crisis, we often forget these high-minded things and ideas that we have at, at better points in our, in our lives. And so this was, this book was not only a good reminder, but a good kind of roadmap of how to achieve or how to not achieve, but go in the direction of uh, being a better person, being and 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 by better person, uh, like you said, doesn't necessarily mean a happier person, but a person just more, just self-aware of the things that are holding me back, or hurting myself, or hurting others, or preventing me from love or or success or other things that could be good in my life. Thanks, James. You're a really great friend and interviewer. 
Uh, it was just, this was a lot of fun for me well, to be I, able to really do this. Yeah. I, I didn't though. I, I, here's where I failed as an interviewer though. You mentioned pretty early on that you needed this heavy blanket because of, um, it, it, it's said to cure autism and schizophrenia and things like that. Are you schizophrenic? Oh no, and I'm also not. Uh, I'm not uh, very high in the autism spectrum either. But um, I, I was being a bit cheeky because I, 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 I wanted to point to the absurdity of something claiming that it would cure every ailment known to humankind. And by the way, I don't view autism as an ailment, you know, or or even really schizophrenia. I think all these things in context. That actually was my latest article at Scientific American was on how autism can be viewed in a positive lens. So yeah, I just want to be clear. I was just, you know, in a co comedic sort of way, you know, as something, a way that I thought you'd appreciate, you know, kind of pointed to the absurdity of saying that this blanket is going to cure all these things right. and yet it caused, it caused me nothing but uh, severe panic. <laughs> So on that note, <laughs> Scott Barry Kaufman, the author of Transcend. Uh, wait, let me see the subtitle. What's the subtitle? I don't know if I have the subtitle in the PDF. Um, I don't think I have a title page. Is there a subtitle to this? Oh, yeah. The New Science oh, of yes. Self-Actualization. Yeah. Transcend, The New Science of Self-Actualization. Scott Barry Kaufman. Uh, it's, it's basically a reformulation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I hope this, I, I really hope a book like this kind of adds to the, the, the ongoing 50 or 60 or 70 year discussion of, of what Maslow was doing. And, and you weave together so many different theories of psychology. And I didn't know Maslow worked with Alf, Alfred Adler who had worked with Freud. Like there's a whole historical context and story of how psychology evolved into ultimately focusing on what you call transcendence, these, these ideas of, of personal growth that are beyond, you know, the normal, um, achievement oriented psychology that we often, or self psychology that we often live by. So I think this is a very important book. I encourage everyone to read it and, and even worst case, s skip to the exercises and the challenges in the back. Like it's great. <laughs> But but I do encourage <laughs> reading the whole thing to get an understanding of the context. But the, these exercises are great. The challenges are great. The whole the whole book's well written. Thanks Scott for coming on the podcast, and definitely come back on again. There's 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 more things I want to talk about. So uh, but Absolutely. but we'll 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 have you on when this crisis settles down and you're back in New York. And good luck over the next few weeks. 